This episode of Control-Alt-Delete is supported by City Cards with Android Pay. Listening on your phone? Now you can pay while you listen, using the same device. Just tap and go. Download the Android Pay app on Google Play or visit city.com slash Android Pay to get started. Android Pay is available for eligible city, consumer, credit, and debit cards. Hello, and welcome to Control-Alt-Delete a financially staple podcast from TheVerge.com. <laughs> that one's good. It comes from Kushal Pandya on Twitter. Kushal yeah, I saw Pandya. that. I saw that and I knew that would be the pick. That was so good. Uh, anyway, I'm Neil Patel. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Verge. I'm joined after some time away by my friend, executive editor of The Verge, editor-at-large at Recode, Walter Mossberg, fresh from York, England. Fresh from York, England, yes. How was your trip? Uh, it was great. Uh, it's hard. It's taking me a while to get used to not being in a walled city, but uh, <laughs> it was no. It was a great trip, and it, and uh, I'm I'm uh, back into the world of tech. Yeah, and just in time. Big Apple just event next time. week. Efa is going on this week. Uh, lots of stuff happening in the world of tech after it was a, a fairly quiet summer. I want to say. Yeah, it uh, was. Yeah. Do you see the yoga book today? Dan Seifert did a big feature on the yoga book. Um, so IFA is happening. We're not going to talk about IFA a lot, but the amount of hardware innovation that's happening at IFA is really interesting to me. It seems like everyone was looking at phones and tablets, and they looked the same for the longest time. And there's a bunch of crazy smartwatches and tablets in this yoga book. It's like folding tablet, and the other half of it is a Wacom surface that lights up with a keyboard. I have One of seen the most it. interesting things I've seen in a long time. Yeah, I don't want to tell you how long ago I saw it, but I have seen it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we have you on the show, Walt, to tease us with how long ago you've seen things. The big news, though, events, invites for Apple's next event came out early this week. Uh-huh. They've got it scheduled for September 7th. We, Vlad, wrote a great thing on the site, uh, pulling apart, you know. What did he call it? Let's, let's overanalyze, overanalyze yeah. the invitation. Uh, so it seems, you know, they're hinting. It says, we'll see you on the 7th. So it seems like they're obviously hinting at the iPhone 7. This would be the time that it comes out. The image is all blurry. It looks like they're hinting at some photography stuff. A lot of what we've expected. But in advance of that, your column this week, uh, it's also Tim Cook just has been the CEO of Apple for just five years as of, I think, last week. And you took a look back at that run before sort of the next event. I did. And it's sort of like, how is Apple, you know, how have the first five years gone? And what I concluded was that they've been phenomenally successful under Cook in uh, terms of uh, financials and sales. Uh, you know, they he roughly, almost exactly, in fact, doubled revenues and profits from uh, where they were when he took over. They have now sold their billionth iPhone. You know, one way to think about it is in, in the quarter, I think was tw- uh, the, the December quarter of... Uh, 2015, they sold slightly more iPhones than they had in the entire last fiscal year of Steve Jobs' life. And that was, you know, the iPhone was already a success at that time uh, and selling very well. But I, I, I think the, the on the financial and unit sales side, they exceeded, they may have exceeded whatever Jobs might have imagined. It's Tim Cook has yet to have a game-changing blockbuster product to his name. You know, unfortunately, he's following someone who, as I said in the piece, essentially ran the table for yeah. about a decade. I mean, it's when you just every time I type it, which happens every 18 months or so, and some, for some reason I'm writing about it, it's hard to believe that yeah. one company led by one dominating person could have reeled off such a string of products, every one of which caused all of his competitors to chase after the after it. Yeah, it was so, a paradigm shift after a paradigm shift, basically. Yeah. It embodied in a product. And, and some of these products are still, uh, you know, quite successful. Uh, I mean, I'm not the iPod prob- uh, anymore, but, <laughs> uh, or, or, but, you know, people are still trying to beat the... MacBook Air, they're, and they're still competing heavily with the iPhone. And this was quite a record. So Tim Cook, 
uh, has yet to do a blockbuster product. Yeah, I mean, you've got it, the way your column is structured, you've got it set up as the products have successfully evolved, right? So the iPhone... Oh, yeah. Right, and and that is... That's not nothing. Uh, No. It's hard to take really successful products and build on them, and Apple is nothing if not great at steady iteration and refinement. And that's what we have, right? The iPhone 5, I think that that was the last Jobs iPhone was the, the 5, and then you got the 5S, and then the 6 and the 6S, and now we're going to presumably get the 7. And it's been steady. Those They have all been great devices, just one after another. The iPhone SE, the iPhone 5 and 5S were so great, they just put it out again with a new chip in it. That's not easy. And especially as their sales have exploded, they've managed to keep pace with demand. They have managed to satisfy customers in all the countries they're in. They have managed to scale their service backend to support all these devices. That's a lot of work. Cook has also done something else that I think is uh, two other things that I think are, and I'm sure there are more than two, but two other things that I think are are especially worthy beyond the financial stuff when we're, we're, we're talking of products here. One is that he has actively looked for new markets and really spent a lot of his time hammering away at clearing a path to new markets for some of their products. Uh, one, uh, two examples I gave uh, are China, uh, which in a way is a, a stand-in for a whole bunch of developing countries that are com- that are de- that are developing significant middle classes. Uh, China, Brazil, you know, a number of others, but especially China. And then uh, with regard in particular to the iPad, but not only the iPad, he's decided that Apple, which was always a purely consumer company and actually built some enterprise features quietly into the background of their products because they were kind of coming in through the back door, was not going to try to come in through the front door Mm -hmm. in a big way. And he cut deals with uh, IBM and Cisco and has a program for uh, smaller companies like Box and is, uh, you know, we ran a story uh, on The Verge recently that uh, said that the iPad was now, I guess, in current sales being purchased more uh, by enterprise than by consumer. So, the, you know, that's an important thing for a CEO to do as well. You know, it's funny, I, preparing for the show last night, I was watching a bunch of your old D interviews with Jobs. I think it was D8, where he <laughs> absolutely was like, I don't care. I, I sell the consumers. That's what we do. Consumers know what they want. We make the product, they buy it or they don't. The market makes sense to me. On the flip side, with Enterprise, there's a bunch of people. I think he said there's a bunch of people making decisions, and oftentimes they're confused. Uh, and I, he I did. He had no interest in that. And I thought that was just really... He referred to them as orifices. Yeah. <laughs> he he, he, uh, he in twice, uh, in two, it might have been two different years. First, he refer, referred to the then five phone carriers as five orifices uh, through which he didn't like to sell things. Then he referred to the five, Fortune 500 CIOs or, or, uh, as uh, 500 orifices. And, and he, he said he'd much rather just sell the consumers. And, and if it flopped, it flopped. But he'd, he'd, he'd rather design the product for the people who are actually going to use it. So this is a big shit. I mean, the, the, the fact that iPads are selling so well in enterprise. And Cook, I don't know, I'm assuming a lot of our listeners probably listen to conference calls or watch Apple presentations. Cook repeatedly has always, for years now, pointed out how well he's doing in the Fortune 500 and Fortune 100. He's, it's, it's a huge market. It's an untapped market. And if Apple's going to grow at the size they're at, they have to go after markets that size. So that, I think that's been a big win for them as yeah, well. Yeah, no, I think it has. And then the other thing I was going to mention that I think uh, is uh, hugely to Cook's credit is that he has taken the strong feelings about privacy and security, which were held by Steve Jobs, uh, to new levels and actually been forced. Uh, I don't think he chose this, but he, he was forced into putting them uh, on the line, putting the company on the line in a fight with uh, the national security establishment, the FBI and others, uh, over uh, whether to provide a way to crack the encryption on the iPhone. And they're actually, I think, doubling down on encryption. I think we we may, I don't know if we'll hear about it next week, but I think gradually 
they're going to continue to double down on it. Yeah, and I again, I think that tracks very closely from where the company was to where they. So there, there's there is a sense that many of the core values persist. But now we got to get into it, right? The the other products that have come out or initiatives that have been introduced, they're either playing a long game or they didn't go the well as well as they think they would have or there's something else preventing them from doing everything they want to do. And your sense of there isn't a single breakthrough product after that string of incredible successes. What's well, 5 years later? I mean the, the classic response to Apple needs a new product is, well, it was years after the iPod before the iPhone came out. It was years after the iPhone at when the iPad came out. Well, now it's been five years since the last big breakthrough. And yet you, you, we just haven't seen it. Yeah, I know. It's true. And I said it fairly strongly. It's in the headline. It's in the column. So I'm certainly not walking it back. I would point out that there is a section of the column uh, in which I explain it's a slightly different point than you just made which is not so much the interval between products, but the interval between introduction and success. Right. So when I when I say he hasn't had a breakthrough game-changing product and his principal uh, physical product, let's leave Apple Pay aside for the moment, is the watch. Um, if you go and back and look at the historical charts, which I did when, when writing this column, uh, it took three years or so before the hockey stick effect took place with the iPod. Uh, it took uh, an, uh, almost the same, you know, three years or so before uh, the iPhone became became this kind of unstoppable freight train. And uh, it's not that it was a failure before. And in some ways, this watch is not a failure. In the category of watches, it's widely presumed, even though they don't release numbers, to be the leader. Mm -hmm. uh, and he can say, hey, you know, I introduced this thing and now it's the leader. But the, the fact is that uh, all I was trying to say is they haven't had a breakthrough or at least if they had, we don't know it yet. And the reason is it's only been out a year and a half or so. And as you uh, and I discussed when when we were editing last night, um, they're in the process of overhauling it uh, already, which is uh, probably an admission that the uh, user interface, the software now I'm talking about, yeah. was, wasn't uh, great in the first iteration. You have to give people credit who go back and say, okay, we're going to take another whack at this. We, we think we could have done better. Uh, I think we, you, I can still remember you and I looking at each other in June maybe when they showed – just this radically revised yeah. uh, UI for it. They didn't nibble around the edges. They basically <laughs> are are changing the UI even on the watch that I have uh, on my wrist right now, and that we believe they're bringing out a new version two of the of the hardware as well. I don't know how radically different that will be, but it'll be interesting to see. So they're committed. They're staying with it. They're improving it. Uh, they haven't. It isn't like everyone in tech, everyone who cares about tech and everyone who cares about fashion, because remember, they had two audiences, <laughs> uh, has rushed to that product and continues to and is buying it in big numbers. I don't think that's happening. Will In three years, will it have happened? I don't know. It might depend a lot on the second version and not just the first version. And that might have been the case, by the way. Uh, certainly was the case with the iPhone. Um, you know, the first version was on Edge, didn't have apps, all of that. Uh, it sold okay. He had to cut the price. Uh, Steve, yeah. I'm talking about jobs now. He had to cut the price. I want to say it was 600 bucks when it yeah. came out or something like that. He had to cut the price. Uh, he had to put it in an app store. They had to get the network up. And once they did those things, it began its... Rapid ascent. And but, but what I would say about that is, yes, he had to cut the price. Yes, AT and T struggled for years, but the phone, the product was so good that those decisions were forced by the product. Right? It, it, you 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 had the that, that first iPhone. And you said, uh, yes, this is the right thing. Yeah, and we're gonna it's gonna barrel along, and the world is gonna change around it. The iPad, similarly for its first several years. 
reordered the state of the laptop market. And the laptop market still hasn't necessarily recovered. Oh, by the way, they, they, a lot of people don't know this because everybody focuses on the fact that sales have been falling. But I'm pretty sure Mary Meeker, who is, a, 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 you know, a brilliant, she's now a VC, but she's were, for many years was an analyst. And she does uh, the State of the Internet report every year at our conference. I think she said the iPad was the fastest selling new product category or, you know, ever, even faster than the PC and even faster than the DVD player and other things. Yeah. I mean, it was that, that first few years, of the iPad were incredible. Everybody, everybody wanted one and they got them. And then the, right. the hard but question you're, is, but when, you're why about you to say one? that cradling the Apple watch does not give you the same feeling. And uh, you might be right, but it, it's I'd have to kind of go back in a time machine and say, did the first iPhone really make me feel like this was going to be an unstoppable force. I think, yes, I think you're right about that. But I also think it took major changes before it became an unstoppable force. It didn't, it had to change. In yeah, major it had to ways. change and sort of the infrastructure that supported it had to change. But those things, everybody, the whole industry instantly aligned around those changes, right? And the, you know, we live now in a world where uh, the media industry is completely reorganized around the existence of, mm-hmm. of smartphones. That's just a fact. Yeah. Um, you could hold that first one. Maybe you wouldn't see the media industry reorganizing itself. But you certainly thought, well, mobile networks are going to reorganize themselves. App distribution, when the App Store came out, is going to reorganize itself. I, the, the amount of investment that immediately flowed towards the iPhone and, you know, forced Oh, it was, jobs. A, it was astonishing. Yeah. It was astonishing. But, you know, you just said... When the App Store came out quickly, but that was a, that was the second generation right. iPhone. And if you again, if you look at the sales curve, it took till the third generation, I think, or the fourth, for it to really be a big deal uh, in terms of sales. The thing that's most interesting to me about this comparison is what you said at the top. Apple, there, there was a string of products, and Apple's competitors all immediately had to react to them in in massive ways. I don't. Maybe it's just there's been a settling. It's been a slow summer. But in watches, for example, uh, and look, web traffic stats aren't going to, they don't really mean anything, but I'll, I'll say this is a data point for the listener. We did a piece today. There's a new Samsung Gear S3. It is huge. It's like a monstrous thing, but it has a really big battery. It has LTE. It has GPS. It has a circular display that's lit up all the time. And people are reading the hell out of that story about the announcement of this thing. I was talking about the yoga book. People are reading the hell out of that story. There's a lot of interest in what these competitors are doing. Yeah. They, they don't appear to be running scared, right? The, I think that that's sort of the difference in tone. They don't appear to be running scared, but they haven't found the magic formula either. It's not mm-hmm. like, I mean, Apple is leading, uh, best we can tell. Right. So it's leading, and it hasn't found the blockbuster formula. We've already gone over the fact that they're not afraid to overhaul, and they are doing that. Uh, this is Samsung's, by my count, eighth, eighth or ninth watch. Yeah. Uh, my immediate reaction before I even read the story was, oh, my God, how huge is it's this? It's so big. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've said this before about attempts at watches, but are you ever really going to get laid with this watch? <laughs> Wait, big Seriously. watches are in. That's what Samsung says. Yeah. They're, uh, um, I'm sure they're going to do some, some. This might be the title of the episode. Are you going to get laid? With that laid with that, yeah. <laughs> but um, so Tim Cook clearly believes in it. If you ever watch him talk about it, his eyes light up. He loves the fitness piece. He loves the uh, design of it. He cares about it. He placed an enormous bet on it. I think he's patient. They. Are, you mentioned long game. It's always been a company that plays the long game, with the exception of. The very uh, first few years when uh, Jobs came back, actually months and probably two years when he had to scramble around to come up with something to save the company and came up with the iMac. But, you know, look at the look at the switch to Intel. That was done secretly and it was done over, I don't know, five or six years after he came back and then they rolled it out. So they they have a history of doing the long game. Yeah. And we should talk about those things, right? So there are some bets that have been released that are not currently 
you know, making a huge impact in the world. They're, they're there and they're working and they're great. Um, one of them, for example, is 3D Touch, which you put in your column. Uh, it's there. It's on the phone. You could use it. Maybe somewhere down the line, it will become the next great input method. But Do you right use now, it? I Do never you use, use it. it. I, use I never it. use it. Um, I've started taking a lot of live photos because... Dieter is in love with this app called Motion Stills in Google Photos. No, I know. Uh, and I think it's really fun. So I've started taking live photos. So now I use it um, because I've taken so many live photos. But that's it. There's there's no other time in which I use it. I, I, use I it. never. Wait, I, there's I, one more, there's I honestly one never use it. I use it in the Twitter app to preview links, which is neat. That's, that's good. But, but like, I don't... I don't use it much. Could I just long press and I have don't that use same it ever. experience? Mm-hmm. I probably could just long press and have that same experience. Like, the... It's hard, right? So it's there. Developers haven't done it. That's a little one. Apple Music, you know, they're overhauling that. Not as totally as the watch, but they're overhauling it now. They're in this war with Spotify. There's exclusives. There's a whole media industry, music industry. that's kind of reorganizing itself yet again. They're doing now. Now, Apple Watch, uh, Apple Music is worth talking about for a minute. I mean, we could do a whole podcast yeah, on it. Could. But Apple Watch, Apple Music, I'm sorry, is interesting for a couple of reasons. One is they are not doing a free tier. So they are friendlier in the way they are operating to the labels and to the artists than Spotify is, to be to be fair. I mean, neither one pays the artists a lot of money. But if you are somebody, I'm going to just say this, uh, whatever you think of the quality of the service – uh, if you're somebody who cares a lot about artists getting paid, you want to be on Apple Music and not Spotify because Spotify is running a business where tens of millions of people are using it for free on an ad-based basis. And the payments there are even hugely more meager than with subscription. Right. Uh, so that's one thing uh, about Apple Music. And the other is that it's bundled. It's 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 bundled with Apple products. It's it's not just on phones. It's everywhere and it's bundled, and it's synchronized. And I don't know what the numbers are. They're not as big as Spotify, but they're not uh, insignificant or minor. I think if they had put out a product that didn't look like it was designed by committee, and I swear there will be a book someday that details this that shows you <laughs> it was to, done by a committee of people that they brought in from Beats and people from Apple and whatever. If they had brought in a product that did not look like it was done by committee, it would probably be a much bigger success right now. Yeah. It, it, I mean, the Apple Music, the dynamics of that, and we could do a whole podcast, but yeah, we had a piece, uh, I don't know, last week. Apple Music is so powerful that if you're a big artist, you don't need a label. Apple will just pay you a bunch of money for an exclusive, and they'll handle your distribution and marketing for you because your fans are just going to find it on the internet and go listen on Apple Music, and you've gotten paid up front, and you're getting paid per stream. The labels are so afraid of this that they're now considering banning exclusives uh, on particular services because they need the artists to be beholden to them. That's a huge, crazy dynamic. It's so ironic. I mean, I know Spotify has also uh, not much penetrated the walls of York, England for me <laughs> last week, but I did see a little bit about this. I know Spotify is now threatening, you know, to, I don't know, bury artists who do exclusives elsewhere. And I think that sounds like an empty threat. But the label thing is ironic because Apple really is doing sort of exactly what the labels wanted. You yep. get a 90-day trial and then you pay. There was, and you can read all this in the in the very frequent and detailed reports by our friend and colleague Peter Kafka at Recode, who is excellent on this, uh, there was a period when Apple tried to convince the labels that the way to really go all out and get a streaming service that wasn't free was to not charge 10 bucks a month, but to charge six or seven or something. And they just couldn't get them to do it. But they are basically doing what the labels wanted. So if the labels are thinking of banning anything from Apple Music, uh, <laughs> I think that's stupid, really stupid. I know it's hard to believe record labels could be <laughs> stupid, but that is really stupid. But it's another it's another long game, right? I mean, if you think about yeah. in comparison, and this you know it, it's somewhat unfair. The whole industry is different, but in comparison to Jobs and iTunes, he walked in and said, "Here's here's how this is going to work. We're going to save this industry from itself. 
and it's going to work on the iPod. And it was a paradigm shift. And Apple Music at this moment is a really well-funded streaming music competitor with a huge, powerful competitor in Spotify. Spotify is, you know, every they raise money to burn money in a complicated way. Spotify might go supernova and just explode one of these days or sell itself to who knows who, to General Electric. That'd be really funny. <laughs> I'm just, who, like, random company by Spotify. Uh, but it's still a fight. It's a really meaningful fight. It's not Apple Music came out and suddenly the industry is reorganized. It's no, their right. entrant in a market that is healthy and vibrant. Right. And some of this, some of this is just, uh, it, it may be a tougher climate right at the moment for macro and micro reasons in the economy and in the competitive field than Jobs had when he sprung some of these things on the world. But I think you know, I think that's a little part of it, but I, uh, I just think, you know, the pro- but it, but also that's what you're saying. The product is not great, and if right. the product the pro- itself was great, then maybe it would be reorganized. Right. Another one, right. um, also the media space that you read about, Apple TV. There was obviously, and I think you've said this on this show, we've reported it. It's been out in the world. There was a much bigger plan around TV. I believe you've said on the show, Jobs had talked to you about TV. Yeah, and he, you know, he had a plan. And what we have now is an he Apple never TV. he never told me the damn plan uh, <laughs> uh, before he he left us. So um, I don't know what the plan was or or what the TV looked like. Even though he called me and said he was going to show it to me. So, um, uh, uh, but you know he had a plan, and I think <clears throat> it's an interesting question. Part of the plan involved let's re let's recreate. And, and reinvent the actual hardware and and, and, and and local software that constitutes what we consider a TV. My, I have high faith that Apple could do a great job at that. But part of it was also they felt like it wasn't worth delivering unless we could also deliver a service. Because yeah. remember, if you're if you're thinking of the iPod, part of why it took a, a little while for it to take off was it needed the iTunes store and it, and it needed. Uh, uh, it needed a source of an easy way to sync. And in those days, of course, it wasn't wireless, but it, it still was a relatively easy way to sync. Uh, and, you know, they even did a Windows version of iTunes eventually to facilitate that. It, it needed a, an ecosystem. And so just putting out a better TV without having a whole end-to-end offering wasn't, I think, what uh, Apple had in mind, but they haven't been able to penetrate the will of the media companies, and some may that may be Apple's fault. It may be their fault. One great intriguing question is, what would have happened if Steve Jobs had lived and had been the chief negotiator right. with the media companies? Would that have made a difference? A healthy, hearty, tough as nails, charming as can be when necessary, Steve Jobs, who had salvaged and and owned the most successful studio in Hollywood, Pixar, and was the biggest shareholder in Disney, is different than Eddie Q. As big and powerful as Apple is, is different than Eddie Q and Tim Cook. Not take a thing away from either of them. It's different than if it's Steve Jobs. Yeah. And, I, you know, you were talking about Peter Kafka earlier. Every time he and I discuss TV, all he says is, well, they don't have the deals. It's just never going to work. They don't have the deals. And... That is the piece, right? Jobs famously strong-armed the labels into doing iTunes. He famously strong-armed the movie studios into doing uh, the video services initially. He famously maybe over-strong-armed the book publishers into iBooks, got himself into some trouble. It's not clear where we are right now. But I will say what they have instead is an Apple TV that runs a bunch of apps. They're improving them. You know, I get excited. It's good. I have to say it's good. It's yeah, it's it's, per, fi- it's fine. It's it's, it's the ex- thing that it can be. Um, it's expensive. It's it, you know, it's not. At one time, Apple TV led everybody. Uh, it was behind Roku for a little while, then it passed Roku, and it's continued for a couple of years to be number one. Now it's not because it costs to get a one with I think sixty four gigabytes. I think that's the number of memory. It's uh, two hundred bucks. Yeah, and everybody else sells theirs for forty or fifty or sixty or at most a hundred. I mean, if you and, sneeze at Amazon, they'll send you a free one, right? Yeah, <laughs> um, right. And you know, then and and so, 
Uh, that's probably part of the reason. It's it is exciting to see what apps come out on it. I haven't, uh, but that's another long game, right? It's a, it's a long game. They had a big presentation that said the future of TV is apps, and they showed a bunch of apps that look substantially like the experiences on the previous version of the Apple TV. And there hasn't been, at least to my knowledge, a huge flood of developer interest or paradigm-shifting apps. The thing that happened with the iPhone and apps has not happened with the Apple TV and apps. Right. Um, and the latest news, again, Peter, we should have Peter on the show. We talk about it so much. You know, uh, Peter reported uh, a few weeks ago that their next move is to build some sort of guide layer. So you install all the apps, you sign in to your cable service with single sign-on, which is a big feature of the next one. It auto delivers whatever apps that you you know your cable provider supports, and then Apple bills you a guide. So you show up, and it's like here's all the stuff that's available. Here's some recommendations. Here's some live things, and it gets closer to being the full TV experience. That's really interesting. So it's it, a long it, yeah, game, but it's the same thing we've been saying about all the other products, with the exception of the Apple TV existed in the Jobs era. Right. Uh, and and the, what we're saying and what we have to say about this is it doesn't seem like it's a blockbuster change the world product, but we may not know that yet. And I hate to sound like a cop out on this stuff or an apologist for Cook, because I think if you read the column, it's not very kind to his regime in terms of blockbuster products. Yeah. It, fl- it flatly says that he hasn't done any, but it also you know, says because it takes some time and some iterations, and it did even for the great Steve Jobs, we don't know yet. Yeah. And we'll see. I think what, you know, you everybody knows this about me. I love thinking about TV. It's, it's, it's the thing I'm the nerdiest about for whatever reason still, because it's, it, it's the hardest problem. No one has ever solved it, ever. And what gets me is... Apple solution is it is the thing that it can be right now. It has it's in I believe in fourth place in the market right now behind Roku and various Amazon devices. The next version of it with if there's a guide and single sign on all the stuff, it's the thing that it can be. It can get better. But what it is not, and I think this is sort of the jobs piece, there's not the big unintuitive aha coming or even set up to come where you can say if they were you know, there's there's some flash of brilliant product insight here that's going to well, flip but the you switch. in order to do that, you have to be. It has to be the way you watch your whole TV, yeah. and by your whole TV, I mean including cable, because whatever you think, they may be losing customers, but it's at a pretty slow pace. There's still lots of people watching cable TV, yeah, for for various reasons, and what you need is for all those things to disappear. You don't want to care whether you're watching it through Comcast or you're watching it through some over-the-top service. You just don't want to care. You want there to be a device in your house that's Apple beautiful and Apple simple and and, and Apple sophisticated that and probably Apple expensive, sadly, that will let you watch whatever is available from wherever it's available. You know, I, I, I would tell you that one of the few things I did uh, online when I was on vacation was the day after, I think it was, the anniversary of him stepping down as CEO, I tweeted and put on Facebook an essay I wrote when he stepped down, when Jobs stepped down. And it it really didn't have anything about Cook. It was just about looking at his career. And I said in, I think on Facebook, I said, and while I was writing this essay, I got a call from Jobs. This is true. And he told me he wanted to come see this thing. You, you referred to this a few minutes ago, which was – but I, what I said was a secret project. So, of course, I immediately get a call from Peter Kafka <laughs> who wants to write that Steve Jobs told me that he, he, he even though he wasn't going to be CEO, he was still going to keep an eye on a secret TV project. But I mean – and so he may write that, but I don't know what that was because right. I never got to see it. And I don't know if it involved programming. I suspect it did, but I don't know. Well, it would be a classic Apple integrated product, one would assume. So that's, it would. The, that's the TV. I mean, again, a long game. To, to get to the end of that road, the industry has to change. And it appears that Apple at this moment doesn't have enough force or other, I'm thinking of other words, momentum, weight, impact to change the industry the way that it wants. It has to wait for the industry to change. And that dynamic could play out in any one of a thousand ways. That's similarly reflected in 
other products that are sort of long game that are great. So right before the show started, you and I were talking about Apple Pay. Apple Pay is legitimately great when it works. And the industry around Apple Pay is not moving very quickly. The story you were saying in York when you were on vacation. And, and Apple, in, London. Everyone, in London. And, everyone's yeah. using Apple Pay. Yeah, because they've been using contactless payments. So they have, chi- I don't no expert on this, and so somebody will correct me, I'm sure. But they have chip cards, which we've begun to get. Some, at least, maybe all of their, or many of their chip cards actually have transmitters in them and can be can do contactless payments. They're set up for contactless payments much more in the UK and I presume in the rest of Europe than uh, due to Brexit, we weren't allowed to go to the rest of Europe. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but uh, we tried. We wanted to. We were stopped, stopped at the channel. No. Uh, but anyway, uh, I just watched. Some of them might have been using Android as well because it's a similar thing. Uh, I think I saw more payments being done with iPhones, but I wasn't counting precisely. I don't think we're as well set up. You you said a minute ago, it's legitimately great and it works great when it works. But that could sound to somebody like you're criticizing Apple Pay, and I don't think you are. When it works, I think, in your sentence, has to do with when uh, merchants accept it yes. and banks accept it. Yeah, the, which the is, product, the Apple side of Apple Pay, the product of it is spectacular, uh, at least in my It is. Uh, it is experience. spectacular. In, uh, from the onboarding experience where it just uses the credit card, if you say you – if you give it permission, it'll, it'll start by just using the credit card you already have on file for the App Store, for the iTunes Store, to adding credit cards where you just take a picture of the credit card – and, you know, fill in, I think, like the secret number on the back. And that's really all you have to do. Maybe your bank sends you a, a text with a verification code. and you're, it, But it's very quick. From that to the way it works, which is you don't have to launch an app. You, you don't have to do anything. You just have to hold the phone next to a capable and a contactless capable payment terminal. And it just turns on and works and it uses Touch ID, your fingerprint and it's done and you're yeah. done and you're gone and it's fantastic versus it's fantastic. the chip cards here i mean we've written about it Dieter wrote something great about it oh my uh, god joanna stern at the journal wrote about it the new york times has written about it the the chip world that we live in here in the states is just a mess and what is killing me is cabs in new york i don't think they officially supported apple pay but the old verifone terminals in most of the cabs in New York just it just worked, you know. Like it wasn't. It was sort of like everyone was just happy that it just worked, and no one was gonna. Right. No one was gonna ask about it. Right. Like it just works. We're leaving. If alone. you asked a cab driver, "Do you take Apple Pay?" He might say, "I don't know what that is," but it would work. It would work. And now, what's happening in this city, which is maddening and points to something broken in this industry, is they're replacing those old terminals with chip terminals. And the chip terminals don't have NFC in them. So Apple Pay has stopped working in favor of the garbage, slow, insert your card chip experience. Oh, my God. Talk about user hostile. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about it. And it's like, that's what they were betting on. The reason they put out Apple Pay at the time, at the the moment they did, was that the chip transition was about to happen and everybody had to get new readers anyway. So So, get new readers with NFC. And I have been told, although, again, we may get email correcting me, that it's somewhere in the vicinity of 40 bucks or something like that on top of the cost of each terminal to, if you're getting a chip terminal, to get one that also has NFC. And so it was widely assumed that people would do that. And some people have done that, like Walgreens or, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, the here in, in Washington, my our, our local big supermarket chain has done it uh, just recently. I presume that's because they went and got a bunch of chip terminals and they did include an NFC because all of a sudden you can use Apple Pay there and you don't have to just go to Whole Foods and pay double the amount for your <laughs> sh- shopping basket. But 
it's 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 astonishing to me that people are buying chip terminals that don't have NFC. It just it's ha- and Apple can't isn't in control of it. So another long game, right? The industry has to react to the fact that people hate these chips. Consumers legitimately hate the chips. Uh, whenever I'm in a store and I'm putting in the chip, I make a point to say, "Man, this thing is slow," and that, just to see what the cashier says. And every cashier in almost every store that I've made this comment says, I hate these things. They make yeah. the lines longer. I've um, had the same experience, and but I have a strategy. And my strategy yeah. is I've saved one of my active credit cards that I was using anyway that does not have a chip. And even though they sent me ones with chips to replace it, it turns out that the expiration date is still quite a ways off. So I'm just using that and swiping happily. Yeah, uh, I mean that card has gotten my business by not having a <laughs> by chip. Not having in it. a chip, but Apple Pay is a much better consumer experience. And if the market was just deciding, people would, you know, it would just be winning. But it's a long game, and Apple's in an industry where the market can't just decide. This goes. There's an orifice somewhere inside of whoever buys the New York City payment terminals for the cabs that says buy the cheaper ones. And they've made an, uh, yeah. a, a consumer hostile decision. That's to make it as big as they want. Apple has to get through that. So, I mean, this theme of long games is it's there. Every new thing they've done is there's a long game in an industry that has to catch up. And the products, even when they're great, like Apple Pay, aren't enough to force the industry to change. And the products like Apple Music are maybe not great enough to immediately force the industry to change. And Apple's just kind of playing it out. Luckily, they have, I believe, $10 trillion in the bank, so they can wait. <laughs> but it's not necessarily a great look for them. So last, I, I think I want to do two things. I want to talk about the Mac with you real quick. And then okay. we should do a little bit of preview of next week's event. All uh, right. Let's talk about the Mac. Control-Alt-Delete is supported by City Cards with Android Pay. How cool is it that we live in a world where you can use the same device to listen to Control-Alt-Delete and buy your morning coffee, groceries, and more? And did I mention it's a super fast way to pay? Just use your City Card with Android Pay at the register. Get in, get it, get going. Download the Android Pay app on Google Play or visit city.com slash Android Pay to get started. Android Pay is available for eligible City consumer credit and debit cards. Okay, so the Mac is a computer, and it's a great it's a great computer. I mean, if people are given, it seems like if people are given a choice, particularly the younger you go, uh, a completely free choice at their at their work or whatever, they're going to pick a Mac over a Windows PC. And this is not to say Windows PCs are terrible, but the Mac is a great PC. Mac OS, which used to be called OS Ten is a very good operating system that's that's quite reliable. We could nitpick it if we want, but you know, it's solid and you know, we run the verge um, almost entirely on Macs and and we're not alone in that. I mean, most of the media industry and a lot of other industries uh, use it. But Apple has and, and by the way, one more thing, I think I say this every fifth podcast, but the Mac business is big enough that if you pulled it out of Apple, it's like a $24 billion business and it would be in the Fortune 500 right. in the in the first like 150 companies in the Fortune 500 uh, all by itself. And it's considered a footnote these days. But Apple has let this stagnate. The only thing they have done, and this is, this is another one of Tim Cook's products, legitimately Tim Cook's products, is a thing called the MacBook, not the MacBook Air, not the MacBook Pro, but just the MacBook, which is a very thin, very small Mac that unfortunately has some several significant compromises. It has a, a new style, very flat kind of keyboard that uh, a lot of people, including me, do not like. Uh, other people do, but I don't. Uh, it, it uses a lower speed chip a processor, which is good enough for some things, but, you know, noticeably slower than what you can get on a MacBook Air. Uh, And it doesn't have any ports to speak of. It does have a headphone jack, uh, the magic words for Neelai. And and it has a power port that is USB-C, which I think most of our listeners know, also is a port that allows you to you to do, you know, to charge it, to do data transfers and do a whole bunch of things. And it is the future. But most uh, other 
uh, laptops that have come out with USB uh, Type C yeah. uh, also have older USB ports in them. This one just doesn't. So that's the only Mac they've brought out. Now there are very solid reports, which I think we take seriously, both Neil and I take seriously, that the MacBook Pro is going to be overhauled in a major way. Yeah. Uh, I don't think next week, but probably sooner rather than later. And there's a new report. I forgot the source. I don't. I hope it's not us, but <laughs> uh, because I forgot it. But uh, I don't think it is us. But there is a, a new report that says they're going to do at least some kind of a power boost to the MacBook Air, which is a hopeful sign because I was beginning to think uh, it's a hopeful sign if it's true. So I was beginning to think they were just going to let it die. Yeah, and I, it, I think too many people are. USB C isn't ready. You, you need that interim device. And Apple doesn't traditionally do interim devices, but the amount of hunger for the new product. I have a, I have a version of this conversation, I don't know, three times a week now. Hey, I need, I need a new laptop. What should I get? Uh, the Macs aren't ready yet. I know. I'm just going to hold on to my old one. And Apple's got to deliver yeah. something. <laughs> and if they what they deliver is the MacBook is just fast enough, everyone's going to say, but I have all this stuff that I need to do. I, I think they need the MacBook Air to to drive that buying cycle because people are de- – I'm desperate. We're going to live blog this event next week. My MacBook Pro has a video card that's on the fritz and the screen keeps flickering. And my backup is Dieter's old MacBook, original MacBook with the weird keyboard. And I'm not going to live blog with a weird keyboard. And that battery is kind of dying. So, uh, <laughs> so my at the end salute- of this, I might end up live vlogging off my phone. Who knows? I think you should use an iPad Mini. Yeah, I, I, you know, I should I should bring an iPad Pro and do it off the Pro with the. You've keyboard. seen me sit next to you at these things with an iPad Mini. Yeah, but Walt, my job at the live vlog is to like transcribe word for word. Your job is to insert pithy comments about how Adobe is going to roll in its grave. It's a different, it's like a different level of, of typing that has to happen. That's true. Uh, Although the, uh, the Logitech Create. And a 9.7 MacBook Pro is pretty nice, but doesn't work very well in your lap, yeah, unfortunately. We got, I'll figure something out. Maybe maybe this is the time. But what my point here is the Mac is the thing that originally brought Apple back from the dead. The amount of innovation that went into the iMac and then the Power Macs and the move to Intel. and I mean, that was a force. Every new Mac. Yeah. They cannot ignore it. Yeah. They should not have let it stagnate as long as they did. This new MacBook Pro, uh, just to borrow a phrase I used in regard to the iPhone, which we'll get to in a minute, the new MacBook Pro better be spectacular when it comes out because they've made us wait a long time. A really as, long time. As for the MacBook Air, it's kind of it's kind of a shame that they just haven't done much uh, with it in quite a long time since I regard it as the best laptop ever made for you know, general. I'm, I'm higher for, on the USB-C cons- MacBook than you are. You know, my wife has one. Dieter has one. They both love them. I use Dieter's old one all the time uh, because I'm waiting patiently for this MacBook to like MacBook Pro to catch on fire. So I started using that one on the side while I wait for a new one. It you get you get a little bit more used to the keyboard than you think. It's so weird to transition back and forth, but it is so small and beautiful and nice to use. It is. There's there's something there that they can iterate on. And but has it changed the world? It has. Is everybody chasing it? I mean, every laptop manufacturer at IFA is putting out copies of it. So it, we have a headline, Tom Warren on the site, the Asus ZenBook 3 is a, literally a Windows-powered MacBook. I mean, the the thing that happens with Apple design is happening in the rest of the PC industry. All right. But it remains to be seen, and what the world really needs is a MacBook Pro with the new Intel KB Lake processor in it that actually performs. We'll see if we get there. Okay. So the other, let's the other about, thing that yeah. for next week, next week. So here's what I want to say, and we we well, you and I talked about this for one second before the show. I would put, you know, you're looking at five year retrospective. There's an event next week. I would put the September 2014 event where Apple did the iPhone six, the watch, and Apple Pay, as it was the it, it's the inflection point. It's that was the old Apple, the sort of remnants of Tim Cook's Apple. And its style. That the was remnants the of St- Steve Jobs. Oh, I'm sorry. Apple. The remnants of the Steve Jobs Apple and the old style came to an end, and sort of the new style began 
uh, in full vigor. And then that event, if you go back and watch it and just look at the language and the, it was bombastic. They presented the, the watch as though it was going to change the world. It had a lot of style. And that, you know, it's well, they built. We, we've said this before on the podcast, but they built a building that cost like a couple of million bucks just for the hands-on area. Yeah, they, they built Bono a house, and they, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, they very deliberately went back to the place where the Mac had been introduced. Yeah, it, it, it was it was just a lot of a lot of flash. Ever since then, the events have been. I think they they learned a lesson, right? That if you're going to do iterative products and play the long game, you can't be too hypey. So the events have been toned down. Tim Cook has seated a lot of the stage to a lot of other people. It's been very interesting and I think very well received. I, I, and I enjoy watching. Well, yeah, there's been a lot more diversity on the stage, which I think is quite deliberate. And and the people, it's not just that they've said, let's put a black woman up here. Instead, they've put a black woman who's really great up there. And, and who's actually in charge. Whoa. And yeah. who actually has responsibility. And you're going, well, like, even if you covered Apple for years, you're like, whoa. Yeah. There are all these people there and they're and they're diverse and they're smart. It's pretty good. Yeah. So the, the, the style has changed. I, I would mark that as the inflection point. Um, and so now we're, you know, two years kind of after that, we're looking at a new watch, looking at a new phone. What do you what do you think is going to happen next week? Well, I, I, I let me just preface this by saying. I don't have a lot of reporting on this and what I have, I can't say on the podcast, Sure, but um, it's not like I have, uh, trust me, I, it's not like giant, <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I think we're going to get a new iPhone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's going to be focused heavily around a better camera. I don't, I think it may be the, the one where some people have been desperately afraid they will eliminate the headphone jack. I'm trying to remember who it was that got really <laughs> mad about that. I have been of the, of the school that if they do that, and, and they won't be the first company to do it, just the first company you care about, that uh, the, the first phone you care about that where that happens, uh, that they will they will push wireless earbuds. Yeah. But it will also be possible, I presume, to uh, use a lightning uh, port earbuds. I don't know how you will charge the phone while you were doing that. I mean, one of the things that I do with my iPhones and my Android phones is that if I am on a conference call and I am at a desk and there is an electrical outlet there, I don't see any reason to run down the battery. Yep. So I plug the phone in, even if the phone is at 80%. It's not that I desperately have to. It's just like, why not? So I plug the phone in and I plug the headphone jack in and I have the one hour conference call. And I don't know how you can charge it if you're using wired earbuds or headphones from the lightning port, but they'll probably have an adapter for that. For <laughs> it's $29. Set, $29. Yeah. So I think that's what we're going to see primarily. We're going to see watch from everything I understand. And I think you agree with me on that. Yep. And. Uh, it'll be the Watch 2.0, I guess. This is an addition to the Watch 3.0 software, which we've already talked about, which is quite a radical change, which will be backward compatible, uh, I've been assured. I don't think the Watch 2.0 will have everything everyone wants on it, but uh, presumably it will have some things, yeah. uh, maybe, maybe GPS, maybe something that runners would like for splits or something. I, you know, I don't know. I, uh, I, I just don't know, but but we'll see. We'll so we'll see the iPhone seven or whatever they choose to call it, the 2016 iPhone. I think we'll see it in the same two sizes that we see it now. I don't know what the whether there's there's been back and forth on whether there'll be one called Pro or not. Yeah. I don't know, uh, but we'll see a bigger one and a smaller one. There may be a difference. There already is a difference, but there may be a bigger difference in the cameras. There's a lot of talk about a dual camera. There's a number of different things you can do if you have two cameras. Uh, I personally would like to see if somebody's going to put two, if Apple is going to put two cameras in an iPhone, I'd love to see uh, some form of real zooming, but don't know if that's what they're going to do. And we're going to see a watch. And there's a possibility of another surprise. Yeah, I've I've heard some whispers of this other surprise as well, but I don't have no idea. What I that is. can't reveal my source. <laughs> <laughs> it was me. <laughs> it was I've you. been sending Walt fake takes for years. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I think that's all about right. And I think what's really interesting, particularly about the phone, is that 
there's a lot of leaks about next year's phone. I, I, I think they're they're expecting sort of a medium year for the phone. I think they're going to, you know, we've seen a lot of leaks. We actually, um, a bunch of Verge reporters are in China this week reporting out a big story. Um, and they keep sending me photos of, the, you know, they're going to stores in Shenzhen. And they're just buying iPhone 7s or things that look like iPhone 7s. Yeah, I did it's that hilarious. with the watch. I did that with the watch. Yeah. I, when, I was in, when I was in China last year, they you could buy a $45 Apple Watch in Shenzhen. It's kind of and, hilarious. Um, but anyhow, it, uh, but it seems like they're actively sort of downplaying. If, you know, if the thing looks like these leaks, it's going to look relatively the same. It'll be better. It might have a better camera. But that's a very iterative update. Well, if, if they have one or two or one and a half features that are not in the rumors, that would be, you know, just enough of a Jobsian sort of thing to help them a lot. But it does seem like a two-year project to go with the 10th anniversary of the iPhone and really, and really, really do a radical change up. The only, and and they can do that. I mean, they have a lot of money. They have a, a, a very loyal installed base. They they don't have a strategy of having to ha- have the biggest market share. They do have a very big margin. They do have a lot of control. What they also have, however, that uh, Steve Jobs did not have to contend with is a much more polished Android yeah. a- and a much more polished de- uh, design trend out of their biggest rival, Samsung. Yeah. And, you know, Samsung has done two excellent flagship phones this year. Some people don't like the size of the Note, but it's there. It is there, and the Galaxy uh, S is also quite well done. And so, you know, there, there's competition. But if, but in traditional Apple fashion, when we ask them in meetings that are not necessarily on the record, they will say, "Hey, you know, we're focused on our thing. We've got this and that and whatever it is, and we're playing a long game." Let me ask and that's you, what they do. Let me ask you one final question. So I, I was watching uh, some D videos last night of Jobs. Um, and uh, your conversations at the, I mean, they are canonical in the, the in the Steve Jobs story, right? I mean, if, you, if you're listening to this and you haven't watched Walt and Kara interview Steve at the various D conferences, like, stop what you're doing. Go on YouTube. Watch him. But Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, great. And the interviewers are great, too. Jobs is whatever. But... Uh, uh, anyhow, um, here's what I noticed, and I, I don't think I ever really thought about this this way before. Jobs had an absolute command of virtually every piece of Apple's business. So uh, let's take the D8, for example, that one's fresh on my mind. He talked about App Store review policies. He talked about, in, in the context of a conversation, he talked about unauthorized APIs. He then talked about... Uh, his dream to let you watch first-run movies on a streaming device. He talked about how mad he was about a company called Flurry Analytics revealing new Apple devices because they were inserting analytics codes in apps. He talked about Gizmodo stealing the iPhone prototype. He talked about search in Google. I mean, like, literally every piece he talked about working conditions in factories in China. He... uh, Every single piece of Apple's business, he had a thoughtful and uh, quite often very passionate answer about. Do you see that in the Cook Apple, that Cook has the passionate command of every piece from the most mundane technical thing to the biggest sort of like human rights concern? Or has he delegated more? Well, he has delegated more, but I do think because in preparation for this piece that we're discussing, yeah, uh, I watched a bunch of we've done cook, two cook interviews at our uh, conference, Karen and I. Plus, he's been on Charlie Rose quite a bit and other places, and I watched hours of Tim Cook, and I, and I've had my own conversations with him and all of that. Uh, he does have a very good command of the of the basically the business of Apple. And on a lot of the things you just said, he would be able to answer them. Uh, Some of them with great passion. Uh, He's very passionate about uh, quality. Mm -hmm. He's very passionate about environmental uh, things, which uh, Steve was as well. He's very proud that they're, I think they're 100%, they claim to be uh, running every one of their U.S. operations on 100% renewable energy and 
and getting close to that overseas. These things matter a lot to him. Where and so uh, Tim Cook is is on top of all these things, partly because they run the company the same way, which is all of the top managers, whether ten or twelve or eight or nine or however many there are, meet for hours and hours uh, every Monday to discuss all this. But and there aren't separate P and Ls. This is sort of amazing for a company of 120,000 people and 200. And, $40 billion in annual revenue. They don't have organizations with separate P&Ls. The whole thing is one P&L. Where I think the difference lies is product design. Right. Uh, Tim will say the words and believe the words. I, I don't mean to suggest in the, in the slightest that he's, he's not uh, sincere about it. Talk about how it feels. He'll talk about how it looks, whatever it is. And he'll smile and he will get a sense of pride that you can see on his face. Steve will have been deeply involved in the curation of that and will will talk about the most granular detail of the angles on the touchpad yeah. of the MacBook, you know, uh, or, or whatever it would be. And I think that's that's a difference. Steve was heavily, heavily a product guy. Tim, this is too simple. I don't want to say Tim is not a product guy. Tim was sitting by Steve's side. Tim did have input into the products. I think he does care about the products, but he's not. I mean, there's just one Steve Jobs. Yeah. There's not a product curator like that, whether it was Tim Cook or whoever else you want to name that you would plug into that slot. Uh, And so uh, there's, you know, Jobs famously had lunch every day with Johnny Ive, their head of their design. They cared a lot about that. That's the one area that, you know, I think I think Steve had uh, a lot to say about. But you're right. And, and then there was just the Steveness of it. I mean, yeah. different people have different personalities. I mean, it, it, clearly Tim Cook is no wimp because <laughs> of the way because of the way he took on the FBI. He's just not a wimp. Yeah, he's a he's strong, and you know he, he believes in in uh, uh, equal rights for everyone. And these things uh, are much more public at Apple now than they were. So I wouldn't in any way say that he's a wimp, but he's not Steve. I mean, they're different people. Yeah. I mean, it just struck me, this thing you're saying, that's, that's actually the piece I left out, right? Like in the Jobs interviews, you watch him talk about the products. And, you know, he said to you, he revealed to you and Kara, I actually had the idea for typing in a piece of glass and started the tablet. And then I saw inertial scrolling and said, we're going to make a phone, shelve the plug. You know, those are major, massive product decisions that Steve is like, I did that. And then on the, the next minute, he's talking about um, some public policy issue that Apple is involved in with the same amount of fervor. And I think that that is the thing that is most striking. And, I, you know, it's five years on. It's kind of worth, if you're listening to this, go back and watch those interviews. They are just deeply, deeply fascinating. They're all, they are all on YouTube, although not uh, not officially, I suppose, and so the quality can vary. They're all downloadable from iTunes. We put them up there for free. They're in the podcast section for some reason, but they're up there. I will give you a scooplet. Yeah, I'll uh, scooplet. That I don't think I've ever said before. That, that, that thing about the tablet, typing on glass and starting with the tablet and then putting it on the shelf and doing the phone and then turning around and doing the iPad after the phone. Um, The reason he started with the tablet was that he and his wife socially saw somebody whose name I don't know who worked for or with Microsoft at the time Microsoft was pushing tablets with styluses. And he didn't like styluses. Uh, ironically, of course, Apple <laughs> ma- makes one now. And, and remember the famous story that Tim always, uh, Tim Cook always says, is that Jobs told him multiple times uh, uh, as he was dying, uh, when you run this company, you should never, ever ask what I would do. You should do what you think is right. And so maybe the stylus is an aspect of that. But he got tired. He got so tired of this Microsoft-affiliated person talking about the Windows tablets of their day that ran with styluses, that he called in a small group of engineers and said, see if you can make me a touch screen uh, that you can use with your fingers. That's what he told, <laughs> that's what he told me. So there's a scooplet. 
I love a scooplet. Um, all right. Well, sadly, we're out of time. Uh, it's good to have you back, Walt. I'm glad that we're we're back on. It's the good air to here. be back. I know the audience. People are literally as we're recording. I'm getting tweets being like, "Where's the show?" So the show's coming. You're probably listening to it right now because what else are you doing? Um, but it's good to have you back. <laughs> uh, we'll be. We got a fair order to do next week because we'll all be in San Francisco. I am yep. hoping to do a Control Alt Delete Verge Cast mashup with some special guest stars. So we'll see if we can pull that off. So event is on the 7th. Walt will be there. I'll be there. Dieter Bone will be there. Lauren Good will be there. We'll be covering it head to toe as always. We, uh, If there's stuff you're interested in, let us know. You can tweet at Walt. He's at Walt Mossberg. You can tweet at me. I'm at Reckless. We love your intro ideas as always. So keep sending those along. But if there's stuff that you're interested in, questions, we'll send them, send them over. We'll try to we'll try to get an answer to the event. And we'll right. have and- and this podcast is just going to be a spectacular. Yeah, the the Vergecast and Control Wealth Elite in one. We'll see. We'll see if we can pull it off. Yeah, we'll see if we can pull we'll it off. Mash these obviously totally disparate audiences. <laughs> and it, and if you do happen to read my column, yeah, uh, on Wednesdays, it will not be on Wednesday next week because of the timing of the Apple event. It will be probably on Friday. So just bear that in mind. Perfect. Um, all right, that's it. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. As always, there's so much else to listen to. On the Recode side, Lauren Good does Too Embarrassed to Ask. Kara Swisher does Recode Decode. Peter Kafka, who at this point, honestly, should just be on the show because we've talked about him the whole time, uh, does Recode Media, uh, where he dives deep into the topics we were discussing here. On the Verge side, uh, the Vergecast I host, which is great, comes out on Fridays. I said it was great. I meant it's fun to host it, not that the product is great. The product is like a total mess, but people seem to like it. Chris Plant does What's Tech, which is wonderful. And we got Verge ESP with Emily and Liz talking about science and entertainment all together. My so, favorite. So tons and tons and tons of stuff to listen to. Check us out, and next week we'll be back after the Apple event. Thanks, Walt. Thanks, Eli.